welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. So first of all, welcome to The Common Bridge. I'd like to uh, bring my colleague and good friend, uh, Nathan Kaufman. Uh, This is a real treat for us. Nate is one of the most knowledgeable people about healthcare, healthcare policy, healthcare financing. He understands the legislation. He understands the economics. Uh, He has a great way of bringing this right down to what a household can afford uh, back to the economics amongst physicians and hospitals. Uh, he was he also predicted, I think, 10 years in advance that we were going to have health care reform in 2010. Um, he has been very, very accurate in his prognostications. You might call him a visionary with a lot of analytical data to back it up. Uh, so welcome from San Diego, Nate Kaufman, Kaufman Strategies. Thank you, Rich. Uh, that was a nice introduction. I don't deserve it. Well, it was trying to make, you know, your whole family proud, and, um, you know, hopefully they'll be listening in, too. Yeah, well, my mom will appreciate it. Maybe she'll figure out what I do. <laughs> we'll just try to make that, because our, our audience uh, doesn't understand healthcare, and that's uh, become a very popular uh, topic. And so, Nate, when, from your travels and your interaction with thousands of healthcare industry participants, both on the risk-bearing side as well as on the providing side and the, and the other supply side, what do you see that's the biggest I- issue as of today as we enter 2020? Well, I think the biggest issue is, um, and I was kind of joking, but um, most people really don't understand the healthcare problem. And um, what just came out was the fact that um, self-funded plans and full-risk plans, uh, their, their costs are escalating at about the same, same rate. And actually, some new data came out from Maryland, um, which has all of these cost containment programs and single-payer programs that shows their, their cost is also increasing at the same rate, um, which indicates that everything out there is not working. Um, and the reason it's not working is that people just don't understand what the problem is. And the problem is that 5% of the population consume 53% of the health care costs, 10% of the population consume 70% of the health care costs. So this idea that per unit cost is the problem, that pricing is the problem, is just plain wrong. Uh, the problem is that we have a small percentage of the population that consumes a huge percentage of the costs, and our delivery system is not designed to treat, to identify that population and to treat that population. And so until we focus on the real issue, which is this small population and the fact that we have have to identify the next at-risk population that's going to be the five percenters, we're not going to fix the problem. So our delivery system is is really a one-size-fits-all delivery system, 
when we really have this small at-risk population that we need to hone in on and we're not doing it. And just one more thing. So what we really need to do is to have payers and providers collaborate, but instead what we have is a payer population that is adverse to the provider population, focusing on per unit cost as opposed to collaborating and designing a delivery system to focus on this high-risk population. Great. Nate, for our listeners who may not be familiar with healthcare, could you give a quick definition, full-risk plan, a self-funded plan? Because I think a lot of people think that, gosh, uh, Blue Cross or United Healthcare are, are the risk-bearing entities, but oftentimes they're the administrative layer and the risk is actually back with the employer. Right. Uh, about two-thirds of businesses are large enough so that they contract with a Blue Cross or United Healthcare just to be a plan administrator. And these large employers actually take their own risk uh, for health care. And Blue Cross or United Healthcare just simply administer the plan. Uh, then the smaller employers actually contract with the insurance companies to actually take the risk. So the insurance companies take the actuarial risk of, of the health care provided. So in my case, I'm a small insurer, a uh, small health, I'm sorry, I'm a small employer. So um, if people get sick in my company, it's Blue Cross who bears the risk. In the case of Boeing, if people get sick at Boeing, then it's Boeing who bears the cost of the the sickness in their company. So two-thirds of the employers are large enough to bear the cost, and the insurance companies just simply administer the plan. Great. I think the, our listeners will appreciate some of that uh, inside baseball definition. Nate, uh here in the state of Michigan, which I believe will be a swing state later this year, Michael Bloomberg is blanketing the airwaves with uh, claims of things he accomplished in New York, uh, uh, saying that fewer people are covered today, that pre-existing conditions are being exposed and don't have good coverage, and that he's going to lower uh, pharmaceutical drug prices. Do you have any idea what his track record has been or any idea what goes into his plans to make those claims for improvement? Not really. Um, I think if you look at uh, the Democrats versus the Republicans, um, in general, uh, the Republicans have no plan. The Democrats, I would say, are probably more adverse to the drug companies. When I talked about the five percenters that consume 53% of the costs, the primary cost escalator among these high-cost claimants is drugs. It used to be that they, these high-cost claimants consumed about $8,000 per person. Now they consume for drugs. Now they consume well over, uh, I think it's $15,000 per person for drugs. So the primary, es the two primary escalators of cost 
right now in our country are not hospitals and physicians. It's actually drugs and insurance costs. And so we need to get control of those two costs. Um, and from my perspective, the Democrats probably are more adverse to the drug companies than the Republicans are. Other than that, neither one really has a plan that I think um, is particularly strong. Uh, the Democrats clearly want to give things away and are going to bust the budget. Uh, the Republicans just don't seem to have any plan whatsoever to deal with the crisis. And neither one is really focusing on the issues that I discussed earlier. Have you had a chance to read the Sanders bill that is titled Medicare for All? Uh, I did read it, and my first reaction was, it's not even Medicare. And my second reaction was it looked like the Department of Defense model applied to health care. And I even had the quip, you know, if you like $600 hammers in the Navy, you're going to really like the Sanders plan for health care insurance. Uh, accurate or, or have you got a better view on Sanders' plan? Well, I'll give you a couple fun facts. The first one is a recent survey showed that 72% of Americans admit they don't fully understand how Medicare works. So anybody who is in favor of Medicare for all, the likelihood is that they don't even understand Medicare. Uh, the second thing is that it turns out that since employers cover more of the premium or, or a, a significant share of the employee's premium, that when you do go on Medicare, assuming you're not on a Medicare HMO, you're actually paying more out of pocket for, for Medicare than you do for an employer-sponsored plan. Um, I'm actually on Medicare. Um, it's the worst health plan I've ever been on in my entire life. It's a horrible health plan. Um, thank goodness I've saved up enough money so I can afford it. Um, the only choice people will have unless they are high income is to go into Medicare Advantage where you totally lose control of your health plan of your health care. Um, it, it's as a very knowledgeable health care person and health care consumer, um, I would think that anybody, anybody who would advocate for Medicare for all um, uh, really doesn't understand health care, number one. And number two, as you said, it's, it, the cost would be astronomical. But the worst thing about Medicare, I get essentially the same care as I did under um, uh, commercial insurance. My cost is very close to the same in terms of out-of-pocket costs for my premium and my providers are getting paid a third of what they did before. People don't understand this. So at the end of the day, what you will find is that there'll be a provider revolt if we move to Medicare for all. Um, so I think the disruption in the provider system will be unbelievable. And from my standpoint, if you want Medicare for all, you're going to want long lines. You're going to want access problems. Um, it'll be a total disaster. So um, I really don't understand um, why any knowledgeable person about health uh, about healthcare who understands the payment system would ed ever advocate for Medicare for all.
Nate, I've spent some time in recent days with folks that are coming from a real absolutist free market mentality. Um, and it's interesting to me when ideology collides with reality. Um, there was uh, proposals floated to eliminate third-party um, health care coverage. And I liken that back. I had a great uncle who was a uh, country doctor at one time. And if you wanted to see the doctor, you had to pay the doctor. And if you didn't have cash, you know, he got paid in chickens. And, and that, was a, that was the system uh, at that time. Um, and, and obviously, we were much more sophisticated society today, much more choice in uh, what the th uh, diagnostics and therapies are. Um, but what, the point I'm leading to is this. When I, I look around at what's existing out there, I look at the budgets for Medicare. I look at the budget for Medicaid. I look at the budget for CHIP. I look at the budget for the VA. All of these tax-supported plans, would it make any sense at all to consolidate that to a single plan, eliminate all the barriers and costs of qualifying, and if you're a U.S. citizen, you get that uh, at a, a particular level, um, and then supplement that with a, a free market plan if you want to buy insurance above that. But, but the key question, I, I don't know if you've given any thought to, what would happen if we just consolidated all those tax-supported programs and just issued it and be done with it? Well, it would be nice, but there's so many special interests out there right now. Um, uh, I, I just don't know. Um, the the issue or the problem that we have, and 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 the cost problem with the free market system as it applies to healthcare, is we have an asymmetric market. It's much like um, when I go to take my car into the shop and they tell me that my transducer is broken. And it's going to cost eight hundred dollars. Um, I don't, you know, at that point in time, my car's broken. I don't know what to do. I just basically trust my dealer, and I get it fixed. Um, when you go to the doctor and they tell you that you have this kidney problem, um, what do you do? Um, most people just basically have to trust their physician, and unfortunately, from a pricing standpoint. You've picked your health plan. You go in and you you get it fixed. the The cost problem in healthcare right now has to do with these very very sick people, and um, we just aren't knowledgeable enough to make legitimate choices. Um, and even when we're given the choice, for example, if you have pancreatic cancer, you may be better off flying from Michigan to the Mayo Clinic. And you probably would get better care. I'm just making this up. Uh, most people would say, well, I'd rather just stay home and get care locally. Um, so we're not very good healthcare consumers is the problem. So the idea of, quote, free market, um, we're just not knowledgeable consumers, number one. Number two, um, one of the biggest problems we have in our healthcare system right now is administrative costs. Um, we're spending about $2,500 per capita to have these uh, third-party systems, which we call um, 
commercial payers um, where we're fighting denials and we're they're fighting providers and you know, adding this administrative layer. Um, and if you look at the administrative costs of the free, quote, free market versus the government, um, you wonder if it's worth it. So I just don't know what the answer is at this point in time, whether it's better to have the government regulators versus the free market regulators at this point. Nate, the insight you've got about the reimbursement rates to providers being squeezed and going down is one end of the spectrum. Uh, several years ago, you had some really great data about the average household income of an American family and how much the uh, premiums and co-pays uh, and deductibles would cost them. And from that side of the spectrum, my recollection is that that math didn't work either. Am I remembering that correctly? Right. The, pre the co-payments and deductibles and premium contribution have escalated far faster than the workers' income. So we have on one side, providers may not have enough income to uh, provide services. And on the other side, we have consumers who can't afford to buy the insurance or buy the care. And in the middle, we have these two for-profit behemoths in the pharmaceutical industry and in the health plan industry. Um, how do we get out of this morass? <laughs> well, well, there's a reason for that. Actually, there's some new data that just came out. And the reason for that, the insurance industry is subsidizing the underfunded government programs. Medicare and Medicaid, if you look at them on a, on a totally in, um, inflation, medical inflation-adjusted basis, has been basically flat in terms of payments over the last two decades. So in other words, on an, for inpatient care, Medicare and Medicaid have not increased their payments to hospitals. So what's happened is in order to, to stay in business and stay state-of-the-art, the only place that hospitals have been able to go now, I have to say that hospitals have not been the most efficient. There's a lot of mismanagement in hospitals and health systems, so I'm not here to say that hospitals shouldn't do a hell of a lot better. But in order to stay in business and compensate for their inefficiencies and mismanagement, hospitals have had to raise their rates. And the only place they've been able to do that is to compensate for the underfunded government programs is the insurance company is the uh, privately insured so we've had this hidden tax um, and in order to um, and so so that they haven't been able to raise their premiums to do that so they've raised co-payments and deductibles and that's been passed on to the employee and that's made healthcare unaffordable so one of the solutions would be to raise Medicare and Medicaid uh, reimbursement in order to remove that hidden tax. But of course, that ends up raising government expenditures, and that's a huge problem. So we're in this vicious cycle of 
uh, not being able to figure out how to solve the problem. And so their solution basically is to now go back and start hammering providers and blaming providers for all this. And you see all of this literature that it's the provider's fault. And eventually, they're going to start reducing reimbursement to providers, which they're already doing, and hospitals are going to close, and physicians are going to stop taking Medicare and Medicaid, and access is going to become a problem, and we're already seeing that as an issue. So we're in a really difficult time in healthcare because uh, really the answer is we've spent two decades of trying to compensate for underfunded government reimbursement by hammering the employers and employees. Let me uh, see if I can illustrate that. So let's say that I'm not on Medicare yet, coming up quick, but I'm not on Medicare. And so I have my commercial plan, which is a uh, high deductible plan, catastrophic coverage. And let's say I have a gallbladder issue and you who are on Medicare, you have the exact same issue. We get admitted to a hospital on the same day we're in rooms next to each other or maybe it's an old hospital and we're a semi-private room with just a sheet between us um that's horrifying no uh the, the, the uh, but the point is this i'm going to be yeah, yeah you're you, you're the, the when your gallbladder surgery is complete and my gallbladder surgery is complete the hospital has to charge my insurance more because Medicaid, med, excuse me, Medicare does not pay enough. So the hidden tax falls onto my private health insurance, which shows up in my premium, which starts to drive the unaffordability for consumers. Is, is that the right flow? Am I thinking about that the right way? You will be charged about 240% more than I will for the same procedure. Yes. So when you look at a program like a Medicare for all, the notion has to be that magically all the reimbursement rates are going to collapse down to a point where the health systems, the hospitals, as you said earlier, would be in revolt. They would not be able to survive based on the contours of that legislation. Well, they would. So there's three components there's cost, access, and quality. And so if you impact cost, um, either access or quality would suffer, or somehow by magical thinking, the hospital would have to readjust somehow and be able to provide the same service and the same access and the same quality. Um, the other issue to keep in mind is not only would the um, would the hospital be reimbursed at a much higher rate, but the doctor would be reimbursed at a much higher rate. Then the doctor says, well, hold on a second. If under Medicare for all, I'm going to get paid a whole lot less, you know, maybe I'm just going to drop out of Medicare and I'm just going to take, a, uh, instead of seeing 20 patients a day, I'm going to see six patients a day, and I'm going to take. I'm going to demand that they pay cash, because there's a severe shortage of physicians in this country. That's only going to get worse, as two out of five baby boomer physicians reti- retire in the next decade. And I just, uh, and that's all I'm going to do. I call it Drexit. 
doctors eg- ed- <laughs> exiting Medicare and Medicaid. And already we're be- we see this all over the country. And so the doctor just says, fine, there's a shortage. If you want spine surgery um, from one of the best, you're just going to have to pay cash. And you can go figure it out with the insurance companies. And I'll just play play golf uh, two days a week. I'll do cash-based payments the other three days. And have a nice day. And, and that is some of the things that I've, I've heard from the folks that are way on the edge about pure free market, um, which you know, obviously doesn't address the access issue. Um, but nor does the other side, because the other side of you it would be get in line to get that spine surgery. Folks, we're going to pause this episode right here. Um, this conversation between Rich Helpy and his guest, Nate Kaufman, is fascinating. But we've broke it up into two sections, and we'll run the last section of it next week in Episode 20 of The Common Bridge. So join us next week. Tell your friends and colleagues about this. Um, I think they'll find this equally as interesting. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.